Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. This is episode 12. Um, in this episode, I was joined by Nick Sir of Casco. Um, Casco is uh, InsureTech as a service and Nick is a fantastic guest to have on any podcast. I've watched him on quite a few um, and wanted to get him on, but um, he's got great energy. And But more importantly, he's just at the forefront of everything. InsureTech, uh, because of the way that their business operates, they deal with all sorts of different insurers and insurance businesses, but also kind of other digital businesses looking to build insurance products um, um, what insurance products means in the insure tech space is quite varied um, so he's across quite a few um, disciplines as well so fantastic guy to get on and we talk about uh, absolute wealth of issues um, the other reason I like Nick is he, he wasn't afraid to get into it and actually um, spoke to me beforehand about the podcast and said really only interested in coming on if we got stuck into the issues rather than um, just doing a bio on um, what his uh, experience had been to date so we did just that so we talked about everything from you know what is insure tech as a service um, how do you get it right within the innovation space um, why we both hate the term innovation um, uh, how uh, insurance is a sort of fast follower um, rather than kind of leading on the front for business um, how do you make insure ins insure techs work with inside incumbent insurers um, you do that by um, looking at ROI how do you do ROI on something that um, doesn't create a direct profit we talk about how we might do that in, in here. So um, really good kind of practical steps, but also kind of um, exploratory. So we looked at things like um, what's the world going to look like once Amazon enters in the insure tech space or the insurance space, should I say. So really good podcast, really good energy. Absolutely love this one. Um, I think you're going to enjoy it. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Leadership and Insurance Podcast, otherwise known as The Lit. Um, I think we're at some sort of heady height of like episode 12 now, but I'll probably put this out in the wrong order, so banjaxed myself there. But um, I'm very lucky today to be joined by Nicholas of Casco. Um, Casco is the InsureTech as a service, um, and but it's probably better for Nicholas to introduce the business and himself. Um, Nicholas, welcome to the podcast. Alex, thank you so much for, for having me. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a pleasure to be here, albeit virtually, you know, um, let's see how what 2021 um, um, brings for, you know, physical <laughs> um, engagement again. Um, so my name is Nick. I'm CEO and co-founder of Casco. Um, as you've said, we do InsureTech as a service. And in a nutshell, we help um, insurers and MGAs to uh, design and scale digital insurance products. Now, our definition of a product is pretty wide. So it comes from advisory workflows, quote bind, complex underwriting, policy management, um, any form of reports, consumption of third-party data, you name it. So anything that um, is required to set up the product, engage with your distribution partners, the end consumers, and then you know the capacity providers on the other end. Um, we're a team of 40 based out of London, um, strong footprint in continental Europe and had a very interesting year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, we, we were just talking about that. And I thought you used a really interesting term um, because certainly from a recruitment standpoint, obviously that's, that's, that's my avenue into the industry. Um, lots of things, lots of things kept going, but lots of things put, uh, get put on hold. And you, you used the term that there's a sort of maybe a debt that's built up. And I thought that was a really interesting use of the term because 
I, I think the industry's got some flack, but they seem committed to making these changes. But maybe this year is just a, a time to pause, maybe on some cases. And and to be honest, I get it. You know, when when uh, shit hit the fan, you know, around March, um, I remember I was still very close from booking a bunch of meetings. And in a window, I think over a weekend, it went from, of course, I'm going to take that meeting to absolutely bizarre. Of course, I'm not going to take that meeting. It was a very <laughs> short time frame for, for me around March. And I think quite understandably, I think all of us took a breath, you know, and I kind of, we, we held it for a little bit because we just didn't know how much um, of the rules had changed. Mm. And so what we saw delivering technology at the intersection of product distribution and end consumers, um, be that commercial or retail, um, we also saw that insurers were keeping what they had planned, but they were also somewhat reluctant to kind of do the, the next batch of, of changes and transformation. Um, now, a couple of months later, um, and you know, the, the, the year is not, not finished. Most of our insurance partners have gotten through the crisis quite unscathed. Um, they have done a lot of investment around digital advisory. Um, but what all of them have kind of looked at is to say, listen, next year is going to be similar or better. And um, I think they've developed, um, put up a debt. And I think next year, 2021 and 2022 is going to be very interesting. Now, I don't think it's as similar than, you know, maybe it's not exactly the right analogy, but maybe a little bit like weddings. You know, <laughs> people didn't um, plan for as many weddings this year. But yeah. you still are going to get wed. Um, so next year, it's it's going to be quite a few weddings, um, yeah. and you know that demand is is going to be recouped. It's different than you know a haircut um, because you're you're just not going to get that past yeah. haircut back. And I think something similar is going to happen within insurance, um, and we're looking very bullish into next year. Yeah, fantastic. I I think you're absolutely right. The wedding analogy is brilliant because. Um, yeah, I've got about three that I think have been pushed back this year anyway. So um, I'll be, I'll be fit, fitting that in, um, but only if we're allowed to travel because they're all in Europe. So we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes. And, and certainly Europe will, will be a different uh, proposition as well. But let's not even start on that yeah. line of thought. <laughs> um, well, you and I spoke before and I thought it was really interesting. We, we had a conversation about innovation um, and uh, I've got a sort of certain love-hate relationship with the word. So I kind of wanted to ask you what innovation means to you in the context of insurance. Sure. So, and I think that's very important because everyone has a different word for it. Um, I have more of a hate relationship with it these days <laughs> because to me, um, innovation is sometimes used as an excuse for action. Mm -hmm. It, when, a lot of people who've never innovated hear the word innovation. They have this abstract term about something absolutely flabbergasting and truly disruptive. And if it, if it's not that, then it's not innovative or worth anyone's time. And I think that's the it's the wrong way of looking at it because at the end of the day, anyone who's ever created knows that it's not that singular eureka moment, um, great idea, and then just executing it until the finish line, but it's a series of 
um, experimentation, insights, um, reconfigurations, and putting things um, together that then just seem to be novel. So in a corporate and in insurance corporate um, context, I think the word um, entrepreneurship is a much better encapsulating because it is forward moving, it is creative, um, but it also encapsulates the need for trade-offs to get shit done yeah, yeah. Um, rather than, you know, going into the co-working space, wearing red shoes and doing a design sprint. Um, yeah. So I think, and, and, and a way to kind of back, um, to kind of test that is, do we have a clear goal? Because it should have a clear goal. Mm -hmm. Ideally, it's measurable but, um, and quantifiable. But is there a real goal? You know, 12 months in, how do we look back and say, was this successful or not? And I, you know, there's leading indicators and, and lagging indicators. And, you know, you shouldn't start with an RI on a new stuff, uh, on a new product line. But it's, it doesn't mean, you know, just let us do and, you know, we, 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 we cannot be measured because that would constrict our creativity. And I think the second aspect is if it's new to you or your organization, it's probably worthwhile um, engaging in that activity because especially in insurance, I'm not even sure whether it's a first mover advantage industry at all. It's a fast follower industry. Yeah, That's for sure. And if you can get that done, well, you know, um, good for you. So it's those two aspects, you know, what does success look like? And is it new to you? And if you can, please exchange it for intro entrepreneurship rather than innovation. Um, but that's just my two cents. No, I, I mean, it's come up a few times with me. And I, I think it's been, it's been hijacked a little bit by technology. And, and that's, that's just broadly in, in the sense of how it's written about and talked about. And, um, you know, you, you'll know better than, better than I, but my experience of, I used to work in the insurance industry and um, we brought in some new technology into the business I worked in and it was a disaster. It wasn't innovative, it took us backwards, um, it was slower. Um, so technology does not equal innovation. I think that's one of my big things. And, and secondly, I like to term, the term I've been coming up with lately is effective innovation, you know, and, and which is, it, I suppose goes to your point of having a measurable purpose and having a goal, um, because just innovating for the sake of innovating isn't isn't worth it. And 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 also the scale of that innovation doesn't need to be very big. You know, it can be a very small thing. And um, someone reminded me the other day of uh, the guy that's you know when you get buy a box of matches and they've got the strike plate on one side. Well, apparently they used to have the strike plate on both sides. And then um, one of the best moves ever. Once one person went. Well, why do we need the strike play on both sides? It costs us too much money. Um, profits went up overnight. And so, you know, change, innovation, entrepreneurship and taking an entrepreneurship, I think is really interesting in the context of um, big businesses because it, it says something about responsibility, um, I think, um, is ownership of a, of, a, of a problem. So, yeah, I find that really interesting. And, and you've kind of touched on it there because incumbent in is large insurance businesses um can they truly innovate or, or or is it really difficult within the context of those organizations do you think so we certainly have placed a huge bet on that they can 
mm-hmm. um, and that they will, and that they will um, look at it more in terms of a network of services rather than unless I'm paying someone a salary, um, I'm not going to consider what they're thinking, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, in I think make or buy is just such an, um, it, it's not a principal decision, right? It, it so matters around what's on the shelf, what's the opportunity, what is your portfolio of opportunities. And so I find, you know, looking at it on a case by case basis, the same way we do and, and feeling comfortable that maybe your make or buy decision um, this time might be different two years ago and two years time. And that is absolutely okay. That is not a lack of strategic oversight. That is just very good business acumen. Now, I think the, the, the main, and people talk about legacy and, and all these things, but I think our key bet is because of the insurance product and the customer engagement with the product, which is delayed, it's very low touch. And quite frankly, that's okay. You know, the best UX of an insurance product is probably an insurance product that you don't have to engage with all that much. And if you have, it's it's pretty streamlined, but it also needs to be accurately priced and to your to your situation. Now, I think because that is so slow, at least for the last five years, any direct to consumer insure tax have somewhat struggled to create a truly compelling story. And I would personally, and I, I, I think it's, it's great, I would put lemonade into that bucket um, if you're kind of looking at the numbers and, you know, an insurance company, whether it works or not, you know, you need longer timeframes than a technology business. Um, so I think helping insurers who have access to customers, distribution brands, and helping them to, to innovate in a, applied uh, in a pragmatic way, I think is the way to go here um, because that's what the market is, is structured. And I think there are certain building blocks or stumbling blocks that anyone who wants to internally or externally um, needs to be aware or be surprised. Mm-hmm. I think number one is that, and you've, you've said it, you know, ownership or responsibility. Now, for that, you also need to have the freedom to make, you also need independence. So because of insurance companies' functional setup, in order to spin up a new product, you know, you need to have product, pricing, claims, distribution channel, A to Z, mm-hmm. marketing, legal, IT, IT security, you know, everyone included. And each function has a different optimum. So whoever's making that decision needs to be, able to say, I want to ship quickly, but maybe not fully automated. Or I want to, I'm, I'm happy to um, take, um, a, if, I, if I only focus on a certain distribution partner, maybe some of my um, regulatory complexities are reduced, et cetera, et cetera. So you need to have that independence to also have that ownership because otherwise um, it's, it's like a fake title. So I think people need to be aware of that. I think the second one obviously is technology. Um, insurance companies have and are investing a lot into updating their their core systems. Um, And that is a process around standardization, around reducing complexity complexity around the known. Mm -hmm. 
Now, new business is fundamentally a bet on the unknown. So I think you need to make sure that you do not try to have the same resources for both measures. I think you need to kind of separate and then build bridges as and when the new business opportunities scale. And then I think the, the third one is that, and we've mentioned is, it's a, even though you, you have all that, let's say responsibility, it's still a multi-stakeholder business. They have the core business, they have new business. So whenever you decide to say, I'm gonna charter this new path, be very clear on what success looks like in 12 months time. Because if they say it's time to market or it's number of users, it's profitable, be very clear about that at the beginning because that's you can you can foresee that situation so yeah, so you're in sync. And um, I think if you get those three things in place, um, you're very good to go. And what I also see is a a change of the guard. So five years in SureTech, lots of good ideas, lots of good people. And you see insurance carriers kind of trying certain things and optimizing on their trial and error basis. So I think that room is being expanded um, and big and medium-sized players are getting kind of moving some, some legacy pieces off the board to allow... Um, the change makers to drive change. And I think that's super exciting. And we're just at the beginning of, of, of that change uh, truly materializing across the insurance value chain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been really interesting um, time about the kind of timeline. I think that's really, that's something I've noticed. And I think about when we talk, when I talked about ownership and you mentioned it there, one of the kind of conflicts that I've seen is, is that when we started on this process, particularly when looking at kind of insure tech and whatever that, whatever you want to put that as encapsulating, um, but within the incumbent business, you had a conflict because you were bringing in new people with different skills sometimes. Um, let's uh, one of the easiest ones to look at. It's like data science, and you're bringing in data science, machine learning engineers, and you're putting them in the insurance in uh, industry, and and no one knew where to sit them under which column, and and that was some of the problem because you you might get a data scientist come in and you put them into the actuarial team, but then they're driven by actuaries are trained as actuaries and they think in the way that they're trying to think about the data sets that they're trying to look at. A data scientist isn't thinking the same way, but they're driven by a leader that thinks that way. So you, you have these internal conflicts. And until you kind of have that defined, either a defined goal or project that they can work on with freedom, or you, you, you sort of give them freedom from a leadership standpoint, then uh, that change can't be effective. Or, or, or that person is, 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 is potentially held back by the structure in which they've been plugged into. But I've seen that change. You know, we've seen distinct data science and machine learning teams that are separate from um, actuarial teams, for example. Um, I don't and, know. And, and I think the, you know, and I'm not going to play Captain Hindsight here, you know, <laughs> which is a great South Park episode, by the way. <laughs> um, because in, in, in retrospect, everything is just kind of clear. And, um, and, and the truth is also whether something, 
it's not always just a structural it's it's very seldomly actually a structural problem but it's in you know it's a change from an organizational problem there's political endeavors there's all kinds of things you know in that melting pot i think if i and if i want to drive new business and change i think the key aspect to structurally set it up is to say i have repetitive cases that i stress against the existing way of doing things. So if you'd say where to put the data scientists, I don't know, you know, could it, could it be that the actuarial department is awesome because you have exactly that right leader who is blend of, of both worlds and, you know, who has, um, has that great organizational footprint and, you know, knows where, you know, where the skeletons are buried yeah. and just is able to drive change by his, you know, sheer cloud, his or her sheer cloud or not. Um, now, I think if you're setting it up is to say the probability of the first configuration being the best configuration is really low. Mm -hmm. So you have to do it on a continuous iteration thing. And it's how and that is you, you need to slice it up in smaller bets. Um, and then you can, you know, it's a little bit like water and it'll then find its way. Yeah. Um, I think the second aspect around this is, um, you know, if you're kind of looking back, um, most accelerators, innovation labs um, have not delivered up to the expectation um, in terms of driving change, driving new business. I think on the strategic investment VC side, pure financial returns to be seen, but the strategic as aspect, other than the investment horizon and understanding the business model, which is very important in insurance, the kind of connection to the business units and that strategic value add most of the times also hasn't been delivered because if you're putting it too far outside of the organization, um, there's no interaction. And, you know, if, if you're just going, you know, in, in, in Germany, you go to Berlin, right? Um, you know, insurance is kind of in Cologne, Hanover, and, and, and Munich, but startups is in Berlin. And just because if some dudes in Berlin doesn't, you know, it's not going to change anything. Um, so I think what, what works from an organizational and kind of what we touched upon on the kind of structuring on an entrepreneurial thing, if I were to set up a new, let's call it a new business entity. Cause I think that's really what matters. Um, mm -hmm. And by the way, that new business can be internal optimization, but it needs to be structured in a way that someone else, not just me, the, the insurance organization is also willing to buy that service, right? So it needs to be market ready um, to do. And then you might just have a really big customer to start with. So I think the best case for this is set it up as a fully owned MGA. With that, you have all the licenses, the decision-making of to create insurance products, sell insurance product, or administer certain parts of it. Have that MGA, that management team, um, give them distinct investment and budgetary control. And then they can decide whether they go across the existing distribution channels, you know, can they convince enough tight agents? Can they convince that new bank assurance? But can they, to showcase that, how, you know, 
how much, okay, we need, we know that insurance products probably should be fast and more digital and more flexible, da, 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 but what does that actually mean? How much faster? How much more? Do I need to build an insurance product in two days? No. Probably should be, you know, 18 months too long. But where does that sit? Is it two weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks? Who knows? Because otherwise you're just building up this tool or toy um, that no one's really needing. And the same way can go if you're more on the optimization thing. You know, if you think that, that I don't know, claims AI is really kicking, okay. You use that claims AI, you give a flat rate per claim regulated to your entity, and you'll see whether you can make it work on your own PL. That's how you drive change. That's how you drive. And I think um, that's actually um, that's I, I see a lot of interesting discussions around that for both insurers spinning this up, but also large brands spinning up their own MGA entities. Um, to to design the product specific to their data and touch point structure. And that's going to be really interesting. And that doesn't mean that you'll replicate certain resources. Quite mm-hmm. the contrary. A good MGA takes all the takes all the support that their capacity provider can give them. Yeah. I mean, I don't need to I don't need to hire an actuary. Yeah, um, yeah. I can get that from the reinsurer or the primary insurer. And I'm not even going to do claims regulation if I don't have to. But maybe in order to prove my point, I have, you know, like a like a first layer of support so I can understand it. And so so basically you have you 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 pick up where you cannot convince your capacity provider, your investor in this MGA to reallocate resources and you'll put some of your own resources. And the same goes to IT, but mm-hmm. you're doing it only if you've, if you're believing that that investment time and cost is, is better because otherwise you're, you know, consulting is always easier than doing. Mm-hmm. And here you're kind of getting into the, into the doing and putting your money where your mouth is. And um, that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and there's a there's something there that, that that I had to ask you. I mean, I had I had written down a how do customers drive change, and 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 I suppose it's that's primarily the question I wanted to ask you. But it's really interesting because it's it, it, it it's a broader question probably about how much feedback should drive change, you know, and and not just and and you kind of said it there, Von sort of objectives and are you hitting those objectives and I, I sometimes feel that that's what's that's the thing that's missing that's the thing that holds accountability people. is important yeah yeah but the, the lack of a feedback loop because if you're expecting you know ROI year one on this new products um, and you're not measuring all of it and then what happens is these pro- projects start they don't deliver a return they get shut down and then you'll be talking to people and anecdotally, everyone will say, oh yeah, but the system we created for managing claims was fantastic, but it's just gets, it gets abandoned, you know, lock, stock and barrel with the whole thing. So, you know, is, is that, well, I suppose we've kind of covered it in terms of, you know, that, that's the important thing is getting those feedback loops right. And, and I think in this day and age, being, being, being able to record all these different data points, the challenge is sometimes identifying which ones you should be paying attention to and it's i mean if anyone knew we don't have the crystal ball and i think the whole point is you know we all know that it's about grit passion and perseverance right 
That's, that's really what's at the heart of all of this. But sometimes the timing is not right. So we've, I know we've worked with the large insurers, insurer and we've created a pretty cool product. Um, but it was set up in the innovation department and it was set up in the beginning not to fail, but to not give it enough room to grow if the first hypothesis were invalidated. And we, it was, it needs to be sold through tight agents to existing customers. Tight agents had different issues. They, they didn't want this. There was some political stuff going on and it was shut down. That was mm. it. We had one shot. And whether the, the problem with this is, I think we, I don't even know whether we have a false or true negative here. I just know that that hypothesis was wrong, but you could have taken this product and trying to white label it, go to a different market, do all kinds of things. Um, and out of it, something else can grow. But unless you give the people the freedom and the accountability to not have excuses to then say, you know what, this didn't work. Because mm -hmm. now that whole, that whole aspect, you know, it's, it's like the zombie project. It didn't work this time, but it might actually resurface. Mm. And we, you know, and then because it's still someone's pet idea. So I think it's it's really key to give people options. And the reason why I think it's interesting for us as an external party, sales cycles are super long. It's really frustrating. Things get started on, but because we can pick up enough demand along the line. We don't get frustrated if a conversation has been going on for four years mm. because this was not the only conversation. If I was hired into an organization with that promise and nothing gets done, then that's just uh, really toxic um, for anything you're trying to achieve around change, around growth, around new business. Um, and that is why I think giving it a their own entity with their own PL. And at the end of the day, someone needs to say 12 months in, do I get more cash? Mm. Do I even need more cash? And what is it for? Do I abandon? I think it, it gives people a focus because I can tell you, we also refocused. You know, for us, it's um, value is being created if someone's willing to pay for it. Yeah, rather yeah. than just talking to us and, you know, having yeah. leads and, and everything. And that's, that's um, I don't think that's unimaginative or not creative or non-visionary. It's just very pragmatic because for us, we're in enterprise sales. And unless someone is willing to give you some money, it's not going to work out because um, they, they, they'll be, they'll have to, con there's no buy-in. They'll have to convince other entities uh, or stakeholders in, in, in their business. And so I'm really, and this is crystallized. I've, I've been doing this for five years and this kind of MGA setup. Um, and we're actually helping <laughs> corporate setting these up these days has just been something that dropped in my lap. And all of a sudden I was like, ah, mm. That's the, that's the problem because it was, I was the consultant myself and said, this is what you should do. This is what you should do. Having seen us like, why don't we just co-found an MGA and I'll decide as a person, I'll be liable because that's the other thing in order accountability. If your legal department says a, 
I think it's B, I can make that decision B and I'll stand there with my name. Yeah. And that's, that's very powerful. Um, and um, that's a development I certainly did not think <laughs> I would do five <laughs> years ago. I think that's, it's really interesting how, I think the insurance industry, this is my complete conjecture, but look, it's my podcast. I can, I can put my opinion out there. Um, (laughs) I I think, I think you're looking forward. I sometimes wonder if insurance um, realizes as much that the game is changing, that that there's two, two ways to be an insurance business these days, which is a, is a capacity provider, which is really a sheer capital play. I mean, you, you're seeing this more and more, aren't you? Pure capacity plays that either are utilizing MGAs or technology and having very little in terms of kind of actual staffing or infrastructure themselves. They're kind of using it as a, as a, as a sort of hedge fund type structure. Yep. And then the other way of looking at it is that you are a technology business um, and your service or product is the insurance industry. And, and what I mean by that is that the provision of white labeling products to allow brand to, to sell insurance. And we're seeing, seeing more of that. And, and, and then if you look at culturally how good technology businesses tend to be set up, they're built around minimum viable products. They're built around continuous iteration. They're built around allowing people freedom and ownership to have, you know, 20% of their time spending on their own pet project as long as it kind of has a goal and there's a budget for that. Um, and look, insurance can't have as much freedom as that because of the regulation, right? There's, there's, there's regulatory responsibilities. It's very difficult. And, I, and so I'm not saying that you can just rip up the rule book, but the, the shift towards those things it needs to happen, I feel, because otherwise you risk. I mean, I was looking last night at white label products that are available to non-insurance entities. They're very good, <laughs> some of them. And, and you go, what's to stop you building a massive brand and footprint on, you know, any kind of uh, product or, or service and then just selling insurance on the side? And, and, and it could be death by a thousand cuts to the industry. Totally. And I think... Um, so, but I would, I would probably expand on that a little bit. So I think the capacity play, absolutely. Um, the technology play, um, personally, I don't think that insurance companies are technology companies by design. I do believe that insurance as a service, white labeling these is, is very interesting. People call it, you know, it's B2B2C, affinity, embedded insurance, that whole, that whole, that whole aspect. Bank insurance is an, is an example. And I think that is, uh, there is a big, there's going to be some gr- significant growth in that. But, and I think this is different per market. And maybe this is because I come from continental European markets where insurers very successfully have tight agencies, um, which is from a, Europe, uh, from a UK perspective, nuts. Yeah. Right. Um, but, you know, markets, so I think insurance companies are also very strong distributors of insurance, either by having their own agencies, by serving to brokers, by, you know, try to make a try to make a, a distribution deal with HSBC. It's not that easy, you know, just having a cool API. Mm. Well, there's, there's different things at play here. Um, so it's a big boys game. And um so I think it's definitely that distribution. Underwriting um, is very key. Underwriting discipline, 
underwriting uh, savvy that is partnered more with you know data product design etc so to me you know underwriting product design technology data science actually that's all one thing for me right it's to, to yeah, yeah, price and deliver these products well and the third aspect um is i'm going to leave out the investment side because i think that's used to be cash flow underwriting when I was at uni. I don't think that's really a thing anymore. Um, you know, who knows? Um, but the third one for me is service orchestration. You'll do this, um, you know, if you're looking at how to regulate claims. That is super complicated. That is, that is very hard to replicate. And having these assets at play is really interesting. So I think... Insurance companies do not have to be and probably shouldn't be technology companies in the same way that most e-commerce companies are not really technology companies. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> These yeah. Things, they had to be, and certainly Amazon is, but there's so many, you know, the next one is Shopify. They'll deliver you with the technology. And and so your marketing, procurement, they're all service entities. And I think, I think um, you know, not everyone can be Ping An. No, <laughs> That's no, okay. No, no, no. But I think Amazon was probably where I was getting to. I was like, there's nothing to stop the, you know, one of the huge incumbent insurers saying, you know, what are we? We're, we're, we're a brand. We're, we're a capacity provider. What's to stop us owning the, the, the insurance as a service, you know, insurance technology as a service function in the same way that you know amazon's made such a big dent in the technology place with um you know and and i think and so i think the interesting thing and that is where i kind of so the normal strategy consultant playbook is right you know you're either a pipeline business or you're kind of distribution brand business yeah and the the reason for it is that Orchestration, you know, unless you focus, orchestration is too complex. I think this is technology, microservices, APIs have somewhat counterfactualized that. Mm -hmm. um, no, counterfactual is probably not the right word, but they've kind of weakened that um, very black and white analogy. And I think insurers, and let's take embedded insurance, you know, which is the best insurance company or partner for someone like Amazon? Mm. Now, what you'll need is, and I, I call it, a, you know, in, in strategy, we had like a T profile, right? So you had a kind of broad and you were very, had a very good depth at, at something. Now, if you're looking at like a big business like Amazon, um, first of all, you have truly international aspects. So there's no way that one insurance group will be, and let's just take one product. Uh, I don't know, smartphone warranty insurance. There's no way that the single, a single carrier can be, you know, from, I don't know, Sao Paulo to Hamburg to Minsk mm -hmm. can have that best product design, pricing, fulfillment. That's just not going to work. So whoever's partnering, and that's to me, it's, it needs to be that virtual MGA that can be owned by an insurance who's probably co-owned with Amazon, probably as a minority shareholder. And you're organizing this for, first of all, to get the products across all geo geographic um, countries. You then have very different product footprints. Warranty is easy, but what about all the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of sellers 
on the marketplace. Yeah. Here you need to provide, and not just e-commerce insurance. Maybe they have a shop. Maybe they're hybrid businesses. So it's a tremendous e-commerce opportunity. Again, SME insurance, truly global across all the, not going to work. And then, you know, you have different items around. We all know that insuring a smartphone is slightly different than insuring a car. And so you have kind of these different product lines. So I think there is a true need for these big to put a virtual orchestrator in the middle hmm. um, who can access all the products because the, and even if you had all of this orchestrated as a capacity provider, you would have fun exactly for three to five years because you would orchestrate everything for Amazon. And on those cases that would work, you would then be an RFP hell because Amazon would relook and say, okay, so you're making 15 cents on the dollar here. That's not customer centric. You'll make two because I now know. So you'll be squeezed out yeah, yeah, out of yeah. all of the point of team as it's happening in OEM business, in retail business, in travel insurance business. It's a pure volume game. Now, obviously, being low cost, having scale helps. But there is a secondary aspect. And I think that is that is the truly interesting nature of it. I think it's then to see how can you move a customer from a smartphone insurance to a holistic insurance experience. Um, and that comes with product, with processes. This comes with people. This comes with advisors. Because not every target audience and every product, sometimes just asking a person, especially if you don't have to ask them five times a day, but maybe five times in a decade is the best user experience. Yeah. And so designing this to get geographical and product footprint, but then also at the right time, let the customer self-serve, but also advise the customer to, to increase the um, cross and upselling. Because the interesting thing, and people realize the cool thing as an insurance intermediary is recurring revenue. Yeah. I mean, it's almost once you've had a book of business and you stop writing it, it's nearly impossible <laughs> to get rid of your customers. Yeah, 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 of course. Um, and so I think that is super interesting. And so the right insurance carrier these days decides which play they want to do as at, you know, at the big boys game, but is not, is, does get their hands dirty and the reinsurers do it to kind of say, how do I get from POS pe putting people on the phone? I need to understand this because if I'm always, you know, just four, um, uh, uh, four areas of subtraction away from what's ap actually happening, you know, if you go to a reinsurance company, a good insurance product is slightly more challenging than a good pro rata risk sharing agreement. Mm. Mm. That's not that's not what sells insurance. And unless you understand that, um, you're not going to get um, the interesting place or even understand which partner is the right one for you to uh, engage in this. Yeah, yeah, quite. It's got my mind thinking now about Amazon taking over the insurance market, which you'll inevitably have a crack at. But um, you know, um, but yeah, I think that's an interesting point to sort of um, come to close on. Um, I um, yeah, I had, I had so many questions, and I think we, I think we've we've covered them like by picking them off. Like, um, but I, 
I think it's such an interesting point and I'm really looking forward to next year because I think that's it. I think, I think some things have been put on hold and we're going to see a lot happen. Um, but, you know, it'd be, it's really positive to see the fact that, you know, your business has been successful. I think that, that in itself is a good barometer that the insurance industry <laughs> is changing, you know, because, um, and, and likewise, I was just thinking about, because yeah, I was smiling when you said recurring revenue as a person that goes project to project, just going, wouldn't that be lovely? Um, <laughs> it's pretty sweet. I can yeah. tell you, it's pretty sweet um, to have a blend, yeah. Yeah, um, um, but look, I'm looking forward to 2021 uh, and um, looking forward to seeing what you guys get involved with. But um, I really want to thank you for spending the time with me, Nick. It's been uh, really interesting to dive on those things. Um, thank you so much. And we probably upset some people about innovation labs, but you know it's fine. <laughs> and and to you know to you guys out there, let's 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 have a chat. It's not, it's you know it it just needs to be slightly mended. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mended is a good way of putting it. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. All the best. Stay healthy. And so that was Nick of Casco. Um, what a great guy. What a really, really good guy to talk to. Um, super engaging. Um, and yeah, I just love that we got stuck into it. And, and, and quite often we have guests on the podcast who rightly so, um, you know, we try and avoid certain issues and, and, and you know, everyone's out here to make a living. So um, we've got to be careful on that. And I don't think we were kind of... Um, overplaying it but i think the fact that we're sort of both operating the consultancy space um nick's obviously bringing a huge amount of technical knowledge and and that uh service to his clients it just gives him a really broad world view so i thought it was fantastic to get into it with nick um love um hearing what he's doing and um really pleased to see that those guys are sort of growing um they're, they're advertising for people at the moment they're look, looking to grow so um if you want to visit casco um there's certainly some vacancies they're in a really exciting business so um hit them up on linkedin but um if you enjoyed that podcast please um, like and subscribe please share it um and, and obviously get in touch if there's anything that you um want to talk about and and perhaps if you want to be a guest or you just want to find out more about what we do at finpro um if you do want to find out more about that please visit www.wearefinpro.com or alternatively you can contact me directly um alex bond on linkedin or Alex at wearefreeandpro.com. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, feedback, good or bad, is always welcome. So I hope to reach out and connect with more of you soon. Take care. Bye.